Good evening. Welcome to Student Review TV. I'm your host, Gareth Von Kallenbach. We've got a busy show for you tonight. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, uh, have a continuation on our PAX preview, which is going to have a look at some of the brand new games, including Fear 3, latest video on Brink, two great videos from QuakeCon, which include Fallout New Vegas, Rage, and a few other surprises. We're also going to talk Madden 11, and we're going to start off, um, well, not start off, but we're also going to talk about some of the latest news in Hollywood, including Terminator 3000, and uh, we're also going to talk about something very big in the world of Star Wars, as well as why Scott Pilgrim versus the universe, excuse me, versus the world bombed at the box office and what the studio's comments on it were. As I said, I'm the host, I'm your host, Gareth Von Kallenbach, creator, editor, and lead reviewer of Skewed and Reviewed, also um, obviously available online at sknr.net. We also have a quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine, and I also appear on uh, KISW on the BJ Shea Morning Experience as the Film and Game Guy. And you've probably seen me speaking at various conventions around the country. We talked about Comic-Con a few weeks ago, and we're gearing up for PAX, which is less than three weeks away, so we're really excited about that. I already have a very full schedule of appointments and uh, things coming up. But without further ado, we're going to talk about the Terminator project. A few days ago, it was announced that, um, well, first, before we get into this, let me give you the, the background on this. It's a little complicated, so try to bear with me. The film rights to the Terminator films were lost, and that is why after Terminator 2, James Cameron chose not to be involved with the series anymore because he is the creator of it. He no longer held the rights to it. And the company that had it, they went off into Terminator Rise of the Machine, and then eventually farmed them out. Warner Brothers did Terminator Salvation. Well, what happened was the company that held the rights, they basically went up for a public auction. And you had Lionsgate, you had Warner Brothers, you had Paramount, and you had a lot of people bidding about it. And it was held by, for lack of a better words, a holding company that got the assets for the film, but had not had a background in film production. So basically, think of it like this. It would be like you or I, if we represented a large company like Starbucks, like Coca-Cola, holding assets to the Terminator and all these other companies, but you had never worked in the film industry. So obviously, they're not quite sure the ins and outs of how deal-making is done and that sort of thing. Obviously, when they had the rights, companies came forward and said, hey, you know, how about doing a Terminator remake? How about doing a sequel? What are we going to do here? And... Uh, those kind of got shot down because the word is that the company was asking for just ridiculous amounts of guaranteed money up front. Obviously, Hollywood says, well, these guys are new to the game. They don't know the routine. We're not going to let this happen. We'll wait them out because they're obviously not going to sit on an asset that doesn't make them money. So here we go. 2010, a couple days ago, a company out of Canada announces that they have a film coming out called Terminator 3000. It is an animated 3D PG-13 rated film that follows up the events of the first film. Obviously all animation, all 3D, no word whether Arnold would voice a character or anything like that. So while it gets around the community, a lot of people said, well, it's not exactly what I want to hear, but considering how the last two films quite, didn't quite uh, you know, live up to expectations, We'll give it a shot and at least see what's there, but damn it, I wish they didn't have a PG-13 rating on it. And they, of course, have been in pre-production and working on the film. 
48 hours later, the company that owns the rights says, ah, 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 you have no deal with us. We never gave permission to this, nor have we heard anything about it or sanctioned it. Hit the company with a cease and desist order, which basically means you're done. You have no, you can't continue the work on this project. You're legally blocked from pursuing it and trying to release the thing. So the company that's making the film says, well, how about this? Why don't we have a meeting and we'll sit down and we'll show you just how much money we're willing to offer you to make this $70 million 3D cartoon, for lack of a better word, happen. And uh, the meeting is pending, but the speculation is they're probably not going to go for it because they might not have been so quick to hit them with the cease and desist. They might have simply said, look, you know, if we don't like what we hear at the meeting, the cease and desist is coming but we're gonna give you guys a chance to talk. But then other people say, well, they wouldn't at least meet with them if they weren't at least curious to see what is being offered. So right now that's where the film is. They are in a cease and desist mode. Work has begun on it, but, um, you know, again, don't count on it. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, they could they can open up the uh, coffers, fork down a bunch of guaranteed money, and the people could say, oh, we like what we see here, here you go. But, you know, I, I've, heard mixed interest in the fan community mainly they don't like the pg-13 aspect of it they think a terminator film and i agree with this due to its subject matter has to be much more intense has to be a darker film and uh, you know we can go from there so that's that one out of the way but uh ironically uh there'll be more coming soon we're going to have a little talk about governor arnold very soon uh, another film that is coming out that got a lot of attention right now is uh well, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Scott Pilgrim versus the world was heavily touted. This is the $60 million Michael Sarah starring film. A lot of celebrity cameos, numerous screeners. We even did promotions on it. Played up big at all the genre events. This is the film for the video gamers. $60 million movie made $10 million at the box office. This is a bomb by any stretch of the imagination. And people have said, well, you know, they were going up against the Expendables. And I'm like, all right, now let's look at it like this. I love the Expendables. We'll get to that a little later. You've got a film that was specifically aimed for the 18 to 30 crowd that addressed specifically video games and music and pop culture and graphic novels specific to that age demographic. It starred one of the hot and popular young actors in the genre and as we said tons of celebrity cameos tons of advertising now let's look at this here they open it on about 2600 screens plus and it made about three million dollars on friday saturday and sunday about 3.3 million dollars give or take that's a disaster i mean to give you an idea we're talking you know we're talking just like an epic uh, a low-budget independent horror film would make somewhere between that had no advertising at all on say 1800 screens could reasonably make three to five million during that time frame this thing had a massive ad campaign behind it they had michael Sarah, the the leading girl from the film and edgar wright the director who also did Shaun of the dead who did uh, Hot Fuzz, they had them in town on the radio stations doing the PR tours, talking this thing up, going to screeners, and they still couldn't drive any people out to it. And I, I had to notice the film was done by Universal Studios, and it reminded me very much of an incident that happened about seven, eight years ago. 
and that is the Serenity slash Firefly incident. As many of you know, we had a big story about uh, Serenity. They screened it multiple times, three, four, five times, very com you know, lots of advanced screenings before it came out. There were stories going around about how people were driving 200 miles to go to the nearest screening, advanced screening for it, and how the brown shirts were, excuse me, the brown coats were going to come out in droves, and this was going to be huge, and this was going to be major. Now, I like the TV series a lot, but the film, on first viewing, I did have a better reaction to it the second time, but first viewing, the film didn't work for me, and what I saw was, truthfully, a lot of TV actors who looked painfully uncomfortable and out of place up there on the big screen. And I heard, oh, no, 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 you're an idiot. This thing's going to be huge. This is going to be massive. The fans are going to turn out in droves. Well, sure enough, film comes out, $11 million opening weekend. Couldn't even finish in the top, it, and it opened at number three. Scott Pilgrim didn't even get that. It opened like at four or five. And I thought about it, and I said, well, gee, this is really odd. And just on a side note, flash forward a couple years ago, I went up to Canada to for a convention where Jewel State, who, you know, obviously the engineer on Firefly, she was up speaking at it. And we heard the same thing. All the brown coats, they were all coming out. And, you know, oh, boy, this is huge. They're all coming from Canada. They're coming from Seattle. All the chapters are turning out. They had maybe 125 people show up the whole weekend. And I asked uh, a rep at uh, Universal about that. They're not with them anymore, so they're not getting, they moved to another studio. And I asked him about this, and I said, you know, what's your take on this thing? And he paused, and he says, well, truthfully, the fanboys talk a big game. But when it comes time to put their money down and put their asses in the seat, they won't show up. But yet, they're the first ones screaming and yelling about, why isn't this a movie? Why don't you make more fireflies? Why don't you do this? And their response was, well, we did. We shelled out 50, you know, $40 million of our money to make your movie that you told us, hey, you canceled the series way too quick. You know, bring the movie out, and we're going to all come out, and we're going to support it. And you, could, you didn't. And so why should we invest $50 million in a second Firefly movie when it's been proven you won't come out and support the product? And, you know, this, this whole thing with Scott Pilgrim brought that back into, in, into mind. And I, it also reminded me of Watchmen. Yes, Watchmen made significantly more money than Scott Pilgrim, but for its budget, it did not do what they had hoped it would do. And again, you're taking a graphic novel that was appealing to a, you know, let's be honest, a cult audience that failed to find the mainstream audience. And once again, the argument, um, you know, the fanboys talk a big game. They don't come out. And we looked at the, you know, we, I was looking at the numbers on this. The so-called fan films that actually did draw well are things like the Star Wars movies, the Harry Potter films, um, the Twilight films, and, of course, you've got, um, you know, the latest Star Trek film, but some of the earlier ones didn't draw exceptionally well. And, of course, certain superhero films like Batman, Iron Man, and Spider-Man, stuff like that. But the last Superman film didn't draw well. And I looked at this, and I did a little more research, and what I found out is that these are films that basically can appeal to the non-fanboys because they already have a, a name base to it. You know, you don't have to be a comic book reader to know who Spider-Man is, to know who Superman is, Batman, that sort of thing. You, have, you may have no idea what they've been up to with the last 20 years of storylines, but you could say, hey, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read this comic. I think I'll go check it out.
And what I'm seeing is that some of the more recent stuff, uh, it just doesn't happen. And so, you know, that's the big mystery right now. It's what's going on? Why aren't the fans coming out? Now, you can look at various factors and say, well, the economy's really bad. There's a lot of people out of work right now. But um, it doesn't always jive because the box office is still doing really well. And even during the Great Depression in times of economic crisis, films have uh, held out really well. They've, they've done well at the box office. So, you know, the big question is, did people just not like what they were seeing in the trailers? Did they feel that it, uh, you know, wasn't worth the money and that they're going to wait for the DVD? Because, you know, that seems to be the trend with some of these films. They wait for the DVD to get the enhanced features get the deleted scenes that sort of thing but you know traditional fan films like this haven't always made a lot of money and i read a comparison which was rather interesting to another film that was targeted to the fans that didn't do huge business but became a cult classic and that was buckaroo bonsai and some people had said to me you know this is what scott pilgrim is probably going to come it's going to be the film that gets overlooked in the theaters but it's going to find its legs on DVD and on cable, and it's going to go down as a cult classic. So we'll see about that. That's just kind of where everything's heading. But not to be on a negative mode, I want to make sure we talk about something very, very positive right now, and that is something that I think everybody can agree on, that Star Wars is always something that we're always happy to hear more about. We got Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2, Star Wars The Old Republic coming to video games very soon from LucasArts. We've got the third season of The Clone Wars coming up, which everyone is looking forward to, at least I am. And uh, right now in uh, Celebration down in Orlando, um, they're you know doing the big wrap-up there where the Star Wars fans come out. They go through Disney World. They're in costume. They have some of the actors come out. And George Lucas himself was on hand because they had a uh, thing called The Last Flight to Endor, which, as we've talked about in the past, Disney is shutting down the uh, Star Tours ride to make way for Star Tours 2, which is going to be opening next year, which is going to have uh, you know new, new missions. There's going to be pod racing, rumors it's going to go to Hoth. It's going to be in 3D. It'll be a whole new experience. So... Uh, George Lucas was out, and uh, he was talking about uh, some of the rumored new Star Wars projects. And he said that, um, you know, like I said, we've talked in the past. Obviously, they're looking into a fifth Indiana Jones set in the Bermuda Triangle. And Lucas said, you know, we really had plans for a new live-action TV series for five years span that goes between Episode 4 and, uh, excuse me, Episode 3 and Episode 4, what happened in the 20 years between the films problem with it is Lucas does not want to sacrifice the quality of Star Wars. He doesn't want to sacrifice the look, the sound, the, you know, the, as he feels, the integral image of Star Wars. And what he's realizing is that to, in order to do TV, where you have about 20 episodes a season, the budget has to be so much higher than it traditionally is. To give you an example, they were able to do Star Trek The Next Generation on about $2 million an episode, which while absolutely extreme by any stretch of the imagination, if you extrapolate it out, that means they did a whole season of Star Trek for about 84 to $86 million covering the 22 episodes or so. But, you know, you're looking at 22 hours worth of, uh, you know, product. To do a Star Wars uh, movie, for example, you're looking at about $125, $150 million 
for two hours worth of product. And that's kind of where Lucas is coming at right now, about three actually, two and a half, three hours. Lucas is saying that it's extremely difficult to bring a live-action Star Wars to the TV networks because you're basically having to deliver Star Wars in all its glory for about a fifth the budget. And he said that's been very difficult to manage because you're faced with the very uh, you know task of, well, either do it for 7 to $8 million an episode, which doesn't make it friendly, which guarantees it's going to lose money, which makes it very hard to do the, bring the sponsors in, or you pare it down, but in doing so, you compromise your vision and you deliver, in essence, a watered-down version of Star Wars that is light on special effects and, you know, not what he wants to deliver. So he said that's what's frustrating. They have all these scripts. They have all these plans. They're all ready to roll, but yet they can't figure out a way to film them and make them budget-friendly for television. So that's on the, you know, that's basically on the back burner. So, you know, Lucas left it at that, and it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of sad. And then the guys from Family Guy said, yeah, we're going to do Return of the Jedi next year, but right now we have no plans to do the prequels. But, you know, never say never. And so everybody's thinking, boy, this is kind of a downer. You know, here we are at Star Wars Celebration, and outside of the video games coming, there's no great big news. Well, Lucas has great big news, and uh, we're going to share it with you right now little something people have been asking for. The Star Wars Blu-rays are confirmed. They will be out in 2011. He said they've tried very hard to get them ready for this year, but they won't be out. And they just He said, I'm not going to rush them. We're not going to put them out. Now, there was some dissension because they will not have the original versions of the original trilogy. They will have the enhanced versions. Lucas addressed that, because, and he makes a valid point. He said, here's the situation. You have to understand the Blu-ray process. If we take the original prints from 1977 and convert them to Blu-ray, they're not going to look good because it has to be an up-end digital process. In order to do that, we have to basically restore and upgrade to a digital print the original films. He said, well, guess what? We already did that with the restoration. Those are the highest possible quality prints of the original films. He said they were in such bad shape we had to go in and touch them up in order to save them. And he said, so basically, the, the only way that they can do it and make a decent copy of them that is worthy of Blu-ray to really make them stand out is to do the most recent updated, restored versions, which are the digitally encoded ones. Which is cool and everything. I just don't like some of the extra footage that they put in there. Mm -hmm. was just It takes away from the original oh, Star Wars that you and I grew up with. Right. Which, which, if they could go back and do the original version, just take out the clips that they added in, mm -hmm. take out the special CG stuff they added mm -hmm. in, put in the, make it original, they could do that. Darren, did you, ever, the option. did you ever know why that was done? Copyright protection? I don't know. No, actually, it, it makes sense. When they went in to do the 20th anniversary editions, they found the original film stock was in such horrible shape. They, you know, they got to adjust in time, went in and restored it. Well, one of the things that Lucas had said is he he's always been films are never done, they're abandoned. That was always his big thing, that if you ask any director, they always wanted more time and money. He said there, because you remember, Star Wars was not supposed to be anything more than a B-movie. Lucas, Lucas earned the hatred of those in Hollywood because back in the 70s when there was no merchandising, none of this stuff was around, 20th Century Fox, you know, it, they showed us a clip of this film to some of his director friends. If you saw it without the effects, it looked terrible. Only Spielberg and Francis Ford Capella said, George, I think you might have something here. 
Lucas was the hot young director coming off, you know, THX 1138, American Graffiti. Fox went to him and said, well, you know, he's doing kind of a, a low-budget mainstream space movie for us. But we, this guy's a rising star. We're going to offer him more money than we originally contracted him to do this film to keep him happy and to basically keep him in the fold for future projects. Lucas apparently said, uh, I tell you what, um, why don't you keep your money and let me have the merchandising rights to the film. And at the time, there weren't really merchandising rights for films in the 70s. There was, you know, maybe a couple of T-shirts here and there, maybe a lunchbox, and that was it. And they said, here, take it. You got the rights to the whole Star Wars franchise. <laughs> Uh, well over a billion dollars, several billion dollars, that's B as in billion dollars later, <laughs> Lucas uh, ran with it because the thing, as you know, became a phenomenon. I remember Carrie Fisher saying she was driving down the street opening day and there was this line around the block and she's like, what's going on? And they said, oh, they're lining up for this new Star Wars film, which if you think about it, is unheard of. In the day and age when there was no internet, there was no cell phones. The studio didn't even go out and push it really heavily because they thought, oh, it's just a standard word of mouth. Well, I, I heard the budget for it was that of the, the same budget as Planet of the Apes, yeah, which was only yeah, like $10 no, million. Nothing. Bucks. Absolutely nothing. You know, and, and you had Charlton Heston. Mm -hmm. But if you, you think know, so. about it, they went out and word of mouth, this thing became a phenomenon. And when you look at the film, even by today's standards, it would match up fairly well against the films. I mean, sure, there's a few scenes. But on the 20th anniversary, they roll this film out, and you're like, my God, even today this would be considered a good film. And, in, and you know, 1977, I remember it. We had a theater kind of like the Cinerama here, big curved screen, huge thing. You know, the letters go up. You go, okay, this is cool. And, you know, we're, we're watching Buck Rogers and all these. And then the ship goes across. And then the big ship goes across, and you're like, oh, my God, this looks real. And then the laser fight, and it's like, these aren't cheesy guys in disco costumes. And Lucas had a brilliant move. He didn't make it look all shiny and funny. He made it look like a dirty, grimy, lived-in universe, and it worked. And as we know, the films carried on. Well, anyway, so Lucas is doing the Blu-rays. Lucas had a special guest at the celebration, uh, young Mr. Mark Hamill. And um, I will uh, try to get the link up on our page uh, soon. I don't have it set up, but he confirmed that, yes, there is going to be tons of bonus features on the Blu-rays. Tons of them, including never-before-seen footage. Now... Darren, with the uh, restoration, you talked about how you had some issue with some of the new scenes and stuff like that. One of the main reasons they did that was that they were testing the technology for the prequels. You know, they had this idea about all these digital things, and basically it was, okay, let's have a look at this. Can we create, you know, this, this, and this digitally on a budget, pull it off on the screen, you know, like an all-digital stormtrooper, an all-digital do-back lizard. Can we pull this off? and make it believable and if we can then we know this stuff's going to work for the prequels because as he said they were pushing the envelope I, there's this uh, footage of him when he first comes into the ilm art department which ironically he also owns industrial light and magic and skywalker sound and he storyboards out you know the sketches for what the phantom menace is going to be 
And, you know, love him or hate him, but bottom line, he points to Jar Jar Binks. And he says, and Jar Jar Binks says, and one of the guys in the back goes, a hand puppet, right? And he goes, uh, no, fully digitized, fully articulated. And he starts laying it out, and you see the guys in the back, and they're like, <gasps> and they sit there, and they realize they've got about 18 months to make this all happen, and it's never been done before. And he's like, oh, and the clothing's got to be digitized, and it's got you got to be able to see the wrinkles in the skin in there. And, and he's, like, sketching it all out, and they're, like, just two pages into the storyboard, and they're just sitting there like, oh. <laughs> well, th- that's the thing is, if, if they're going to spend so much time and effort, though, on creating this awesome digital, never before done character, why Jar Jar Binks? I mean, worse than the Ewoks, in my you opinion. You know, and the thing was, he thought it, he thought it would appeal to the children. Is basically what he so thought. So he basically put a cartoon in his film. Right, because if you look at the film in hindsight, it makes sense. Because here's the way I look at the prequels. He told us in the press corps ahead of time. These are not going to be like the original Star Wars films. They're going to be very different. It's a different tone. It's a different time. It's going to have a different everything. Please do not expect the original Star Wars films. Now, from a technological standpoint, they're absolutely brilliant. You know, we've discussed, oh, these people blast them. And, oh, my God, they're horrible. But made over a billion dollars at the box office. The problem was, you can talk about the stiff acting, but let's be honest. The original trilogy didn't have great acting. And the fact of the matter was... After 17 years, the bar had been built so high that he would have had a hard time matching it. For what they are, they are solid entertainment, and I still think they hold up very well against any other genre sci-fi film. You know, there are some issues aside. Yes, there's some groaning dialogue, there's some really stiff acting, but nonetheless, they're very entertaining. Now, if you look at the films, the first film, you know, Luke's, um, excuse me, Anakin's a little boy. Second film, he's almost a teenager, 21 years old young adult in the third one and it seems like the tone of the films you know the first one when he's a kid there's a little more whimsical quirkiness to it and there's a big aspect of it where he's reintroducing the star wars universe to us you know at the time as he said we had never seen a time where the jedi knights were all over the place and in power we'd never seen you know the corruption and all of that and what was going on in their world we'd only heard about it the second film you have kind of like the teen teen romance the teen film and you notice how as the films went on, they became darker and more serious. And that's where the, that's where this is going to come. There are a lot of scenes that they had talked about in the Star Wars film. For example, in the original Star Wars, there's a scene where Luke and his buddies are hanging out. And Luke is out at one of the evaporators, and he takes his binoculars, and he sees what he thinks are ships firing at each other, which is the opening scene of the film. And he goes and he tells all his buddies, you know, oh, this is going on. And they're like, oh, Luke, you're an idiot, da 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 and that's where he meets Biggs, and Biggs says, hey, you know, I'm leaving the Academy. I'm joining the Rebellion. You should come with me. And that's, of course, you know, we see snippets of that when he has his discussion with his aunt and uncle about, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about transferring to the Academy now and so on and so forth. And what happened was Fox said, no, we can't have this because you can't have 20 minutes go by before the lead character of the film makes his appearance. So we gotta, you got to get, get all that out of there and get him in the picture faster. There was, uh, you know, they never filmed it, but there was a, it's in the script. There's a scene in the second film. They even actually, it made the trailers, believe it or not, Darren. There's a scene in the trailer where you see C-3PO go up to a door and rip a sticker off. It had something in there writing on it. That was never put in. That was supposed to be a scene where they find out the snow creatures were attacking the rebel base and they can find them in an area. 
And Anthony Daniels had said, I actually talked to him years ago, he said it was one of his greatest regrets because it was a great C-3PO scene that when they were evacuating the ice base and the snow troopers were coming in, 3PO runs up to the door and it was one of the, the doors where the, the snow creatures, the wampas, were all trapped on the other side. And there's a warning sticker on it. And he rips it and makes it look like he went in and then he walks out of the way and then the ah, snow troopers follow okay. in and he said it was a side of 3PO everyone thinks he's this prissy little wuss but where he had the you know he had a very good self-preservation instinct where he could you know think outside the box it, and it, they never filmed it because technol they filmed the scene of him ripping the sticker but the snow creatures and all that was never done due to budget issues and constraints it's funny you bring that up I just watched Empire they just did it, did it on Spike I believe right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three, and so it's you know, it's just it's all coming back. But one question I had to ask you though, which just reminded me of, how old, did it ever say how old Luke and Leia were, and how much time had gone? I mean, obviously yeah. they were yeah, in their twenties. The first or... film is about they're about twenty. It's supposed to be twenty years between. So the okay, Star Wars is twenty years from Return of the Jedi. Excuse me, from Revenge of the Sith, give or take. So they're about twenty years old in Star Wars. They're about twenty two, twenty three years old in Empire. And uh, they're about 24 to 25 in Return of the Jedi because Return of the Jedi is roughly a year later. Yeah, and and so how old was Dar- how old was Anakin? Anakin would when prob- Obi Wan Kenobi took him out. He becomes Darth Vader. Right. That would he would have been about 24, 25. So, so he's only like 45 years old. Then. 45. Right. Okay. Right. And that's the that's the idea behind it. Anyway, so here here's one of the things in Return of the Jedi. There's a there's always been a rumored sandstorm that we hear about but was never seen there have been a couple still photos uh george lucas said i'm going to show you one of the scenes here now admittedly they hadn't cleaned it up and made it blu-ray ready yet but he showed the scene and it was from return of the jedi and it was one of the scenes that mark hamill was very very big on he was very big on luke having this new look in return of the jedi because you know when you first see him he's got the hood and it's like, well, wait a second, you know, what's going on in the years since we last saw him? He was, you know, one, missing one hand, hanging from a weather vane, robe, around, you know, bathrobe, fake hand on around his sister. And all of a sudden now he's wearing these dark clothes and these hood and using the choke grip on these people. Like, what exactly has happened in this year? You know, when did he become a Jedi, per se? Because obviously we find out later in the film he goes back to Yoda and Yoda says, now you don't need any more training. You're a Jedi. And there was a scene that they never put into the film that everybody had asked about. And in the in the clip that they show, and as I said, we're going to try to get it on our site, um, Vader is in his meditation chamber, and he's basically, you know, Luke, join me, come to the, you know, come join the power of the dark side, blah, 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 blah. And this is all before the whole Endor thing. This is at the very beginning of the film. So then they cut to a hand, and he's holding a long cylindrical object, and he's got a tool, and he's... And all you see is a hood with a chin. And all of a sudden, he's holding the lightsaber handle. And it's the green lightsaber. And, you know, the big question, oh, I, you know, he lost his and he had to build another one. And there was that whole thing about, well, when exactly did Luke build this new lightsaber and what was going on? And then as he cuts, you see he's in a cave on Tatooine and there's 3PO and R2 right outside. And this is right before they go off to Jabba's palace and start the whole thing. And the idea behind it was, you know, that was his test. The the discipline and focus that he had to construct the lightsaber to do it show that he, he was dead on square tap to the force. He was a Jedi at that point because he was able to, you know, with Vader in his head, 
tempting him, he was still able to focus, find peace, find calm, complete his task, and go on about his mission. And that, you know, the scene was cut, and they, they showed the clip, and the, cr the audience went nuts. Huge ovation for it. So, anyway, 2011, look for the Star Wars DVDs. And as we said, this year, the big DVD, uh, excuse me, Blu-ray DVD releases, the big ones are going to be the Alien Trilogy, which is going to have both the original and the director's cuts, as well as tons of new footage. And you're also going to get back to the Future Trilogy, which also has tons of new footage. So those will be arriving in November, if memory serves. And uh, are they making what? Yeah, it's coming to Blu-ray. They're Blu-ray releasing the original trilogy with Michael J. Fox. No, 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 no. So the Star Wars, Star Wars Blu-rays are coming in 2011. So, and then of course there's other things coming, like we've mentioned the Alien prequels, the two-part Alien prequel that Ridley Scott is doing in 3D. That is set about ooh 50 some odd years before um, Alien, and then of course uh, Predators is supposed to be hitting Blu-ray in. September, and I can tell you I heard a little rumor about that. Of course, it's going to have some additional scenes, uh, an expanded opening, and there's a rumor that it's going to have a very quick teaser for the uh, Alien prequels with it, so look for that in September. Now, one thing to look for, and this is one of those things where you sit there and you say, oh boy, am I really going to go down this path? Am I really going to talk about this? Duke Nukem Forever, 13 years in development there is some progress. For those of you that are not aware, Duke Nukem Forever was supposed to be the follow-up to Duke Nukem 3D, and it has been constantly plagued by restarts, changes of graphical engines, so on and so forth. This came to a head about, ooh, a year ago, when 3D Realms, the company that was doing it, uh, basically, they uh, the year before, a couple of years ago at Christmas time, they released a video of Duke basically saying, it was Duke pumping iron, smoking a cigar, saying, in essence, I'll be back. There had been some tech demos shown before, but nothing for several years. And a lot of people said, it's the greatest vaporware on the planet, the project that everyone talks about that's never going to see the light of day. And uh, then, of course, there had been some leaked videos of supposed gameplay and stuff like that for it. But word has it that the game was about 85% done, and then all of a sudden 3D Realms closed up. Apparently, the publisher, Take-Two Interactive, had decided that it had gone on long enough, and that since it was so over budget, they pulled the plug on the project. As, you know, as I said, rumor has it 85% done. Speculation here, I don't want to say this is what happened, this isn't what happened, but the belief is that they decided that they did this because they wanted to take control of it themselves and get it done at that point. Everyone said, that's it, Duke Nukem's dead. And, uh, you know, there was the argument about, well, geez, look how much money's been put into it. Someone's going to try to recoup some of this. Then some new footage started to leak online. New photos were popping up on 3D Realm employees' Facebook pages, that sort of thing. Duke himself actually opened up a Facebook page, and then it was closed because, quote, Facebook said it violated their terms of agreement because he's not an actual person. So therefore, Duke couldn't have his own Facebook page. But it was up for about a week and a half, and these new footage, new uh, still photos of the creatures from the games had come out. Well, then the two sides get into a lawsuit with each other over exactly who has the rights and who is at fault. And all we know is recently, um, within the last six months, the suit was settled. But of course, like a lot of lawsuits, the outcome has got to be kept secret. Who won, who got what, we don't know. So that's it. You know, it's still there. Every now and then you hear, oh, Duke Nukem this. 
two days ago, word leaked out that there is indeed very likely a major company that has it and they are finishing it under, of course, the you know guidance of whoever holds the rights now. What we're hearing is that Gearbox, who has developed a lot of good 3D shooters for a lot of companies, who recently did the very phenomenal Borderlands game, may indeed be the people who have been tapped. Originally, I'd heard a rumor that Valve may, might have had at the local company, and there might be an announcement at E3. Now, as the article said, you can always take these with a grain of salt because Duke rumors come up. Two known gaming sites popped up and said, there is speculation and evidence that Gearbox may indeed have this game and they are finishing it, and that an announcement may be made as soon as PAX or shortly after, and there could even be a demo released this year with the full release of the product next year. So wait and see. You know, it's kind of one of those things that every time Duke Nukem is announced, there's always a snicker like, yeah, 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 I'll believe it when I see it, but at the same time, Everybody knows there's there's at least a nearly finished product sitting somewhere just waiting for everyone to top off and get that out. So anyway, we use the Duke Nukem to do a transition right now. And uh, we want to have a look at some of the new video games that are coming out. And up next, I'd like to, if it's ready, Darren, do we have Fear 3 ready to go? We have Fear 3, which, uh, as you know, first, first Encounter Assault Recon. It was originally a, uh, I'll give a backstory on this real quick. It was originally a Sierra product. And it was developed by a local company, Monolith. And uh, right after it came out, there were two add-ons for Fear. But there was a... Um, oh, what's a good way of putting it? Basically, there was... I never heard if it was a disagreement or what happened. But basically, the thing split. And what we were told was that Sierra, who uh, was going to retain the rights to the name Fear... But Monolith and company who created it would retain the rights to the storyline and the characters. So they were basically making Fear 2, but they had to call it, pro they had a name the game contest, and it was called Project Origin. And so it was kind of funny. You have Fear, you have Fear 2. Well, near completion of Project Origin, um, an agreement was reached. And, uh, you know, because Sierra got acquired by other companies and all that. And what they basically did was they were able to reacquire the rights because Monolith was working with Warner Brother Interactive at this point. They were able to reacquire the rights to the name. So right before release, it was able to be called Fear 2 Project Origin. And so came out, advanced the storyline, and uh, we have Fear 3 coming for October. And I have confirmed they are going to have a playable version of it at PAX. So if you want to get out there and have a look at it, this is one of the games that was really revolutionary because... Not only was it a 3D shooter with some really great weapons, it had a very nice supernatural element to it, had some spookiness to it. Really good story, good characters that drove it. It also allowed bullet time, so you could, like, you know, your operative could, in a heated battle, freeze things down and make the guys move really slow. And one of the great things was being able to hit these people with these high-powered weapons, especially I love taking the nail gun or the laser and blasting them in bullet time because you'd have this, like, slow motion boom, 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 boom. And you could actually run around, hit them, and run to the side and actually see the bullets go thump, 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 and stick them to the wall. So here it is, Fear 3.
brothers. Prototype commanders in the emerging field of psychic warfare. I was the favorite. He was the first prototype. A failure. Get up. I said get up. I know that's one my wife won't be playing. She's not a fan of the, the uh, horror things, but I, you know, I'm in. Hey, look, I'm into the series for better or for worse. I've enjoyed it, and I'm ready to go. So, uh, by the way, um, I'm going to next week, Darren. We're going to have a list. I just got a, a link of it, and I have not had a time to set it up. But we are going to be doing more. We've been showing some of the games that are coming, some of the games you might see. We are going to do uh, a full-on PAX preview either next weekend or the week right before. And uh, what I'm going to do is I, I'm starting to get an invite of, uh, hey, this is coming, this is coming. And so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to have a list of some of the companies that are coming and uh, what games you're going to see. Now, one of the problems is I really debated back and forth on whether to do this because I kind of like to be able to show the audience something when we talk about these games. But, you know, I ask their indulgence in this because a lot of the companies right now are saying, look, this is what we've got coming but we don't want to show you any of it until after PAX. You know, when you come to PAX, that's when we're going to show it to you, and the moment PAX is over, we'll be happy to provide you with all the video in the world, but right now, it's all kind of under wraps, and it's, you know, finishing touches to make it all pretty for the presentation. I can tell you from working in the game industry, the three weeks before a major gaming convention, they're usually nuts, because they're out there just polishing up these pending games, at least to get it as a, uh, how do we you know, basically as nice looking as they can because the object is to say, look, you know, it's not done. It may be a year before this thing comes out, but we've committed to showing this thing, so let's make it look as good as we possibly can because the worst thing you could have is kind of like happened with Microsoft with their motion control thing where they unveiled it at E3 and there were all these issues. And so, you know, everybody wants, and, I, and I, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with uh, with it right now with Connect and uh you know, I've already seen uh, the PlayStation's move, and I was really impressed by that. 
Uh, Darren, real quick, what what do we have coming up next? Brink, we're going to do. Um, this is an action game as well from a company that's well known for doing 3D shooters. They've, uh, well, they have a great track record. We showed a trailer earlier. Wanted to mention really quick before I forget, it's, it's fall, it's almost football season. Got to play the new Madden, and we've got our review on the site, Madden 11. Absolutely fantastic. I've been kind of up and down with some of the Madden games because one of my problems is there's just too much... Um, micromanagement as i call it you know i like a game where it runs very smoothly you got the flow of the game i'm not having to play around with all these roster spots playing around with mashing buttons and stuff like that and what they've done is they've smoothed it out it's got very good graphics and one of the things that i love is that when you get down and you're getting ready to do a game you remember how in the old days you had to sit there and say you know what type of offense do i want what type of formation what play do i want and you pick it and all that madden does it for you now It'll come up and say, okay, you know, we're first and ten. This is what I want you to run. If you choose not to run that play, all you got to do is hit one button, go to the audible, and say I want either a run, a pass, a short pass, whatever, and then you bring up the menu and you execute it. And, uh, Darren, you get a kick out of this. They have a multiplay mode on it where you can have up to three players on one team. So, like, one guy's the quarterback, one guy's the wide receiver, and the other person's the running back. And if you want to do some real tricky stuff, like uh, all of a sudden have your have your wide receiver come right back in, chip block, and then take off. Uh, talk about you can have some real busted plays go funny that way. You could have your wide receiver and running back all of a sudden become blockers and say take your quarterback up. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, the great thing about it is the kicking game works really well. And so I was really, really impressed by that. And uh, we're going to have a look at NCAA 11. Uh, up next which is the you know the latest college football one and so we'll be having that on the site soon anyway back to the action we have brink right here and this has been a very very anticipated game if you want to know more about it go to our site at sknr.net and just look up brink in the search engine and we have a full interview for it so uh darren's going to fire that one up right now and we got a couple other good ones coming too right after that straight from QuakeCon. They succeeded. They built the eighth wonder of the world, the Ark. Unfortunately, it came a little too late. Brink takes place on the Ark. It's an immense artificial floating city built at sea as part of a contemporary green vision, but now existing around 2045, it's lost contact with the rest of the world, and it's the focus of an isolated and horrific conflict. In essence, it's on the brink of civil war. Right. We do this by the book. The worst of an inconvenient truth happened. Those ice caps in Greenland that could, any day, could just instantly go, that happened. And pretty much overnight, millions of people all around the world were displaced. A lot of them came to the Ark. The Ark, which was supposed to house 5,000, now houses 50,000. So they're running out of everything. They're running out of space, they're running out of water, they're running out of food, they're running out of energy. You have these refugees who live in abject poverty, where their resources are really begged or borrowed or stolen, fighting against the originally wealthy founders who appear to be hoarding far more than they need. They've reached the breaking point. They've had to step it up. They have no choice. It's in their own best interest, their own survival, that they fight back to take an equal part. And you have law and order trying to be maintained by the security forces who equally think that they're the good guys. 
They're the thin blue line. They are all that's keeping this place afloat. They are the unsung heroes of ARC. We wanted to make it so that it wasn't just hero cops versus evil terrorists, because that's boring. Uh, we didn't want to make it so it's heroic freedom fighters up against the evil oppressive forces, because that's also boring. And it's not how the world is. No one thinks they're wrong. No one says, yep, I'm evil, I oppress, that's pretty much all I do. You have the resistance being seen as terrorists by the security. You have the security being seen as oppressors by the resistance, and it gives everybody a good reason to fight. <laughs> When the game starts, it's literally the first day of that civil war, and the first choice you make is actually going to define the direction this whole conflict plays out. And uh, to answer the question of some of the people on the chat room, it, Brink is not a mod. It is actually a brand new game, and it is going to be uh, quite impressive. Like I said, go to sknr.net and uh, look up Brink. We have a search engine on the right side of the page. We are doing a little bit of uh, cleanup on the page, so I apologize if you have a little clunkiness, but we're in the process of moving to a new server as well. But... Uh, we're going to have it all done, and you can look at Brink. It's basically, it's a, got solo play and multiplayer. One of the things that I was told, and it's kind of tricky to explain, but it's going to allow you to jump in and out of multiplayer and solo play. So in theory, like if you're playing it in the solo play and you're screwed up, you can call up and say, you know, hey, Darren, I need you to get in here. You jump in, and then you, we finish the level. We could stop there and say, hey, Darren, let's go over to multiplayer. And then someone can say, hey, guys, uh, you know, I'm on this part of the game. I need your help. Can you jump back in? And, then of course, it's got a uh, changing dynamic to it that allows you to come in and out. So it's not just co-op multiplay and uh, co-op solo play. It's Team Fortress 2, yeah, it's, it's uh, much more advanced than that, but it does have a lot of uh, play to it. I, like I said, it, it's very – when I was reading the interview back when we got the questions, I was looking at it going, boy, this, you know, that's something different. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. We're definitely looking forward to seeing that one at PAX as well. Uh, Darren, what do we have coming up next? We have a Lord of the Rings request for the folks that are into the massive online games. And, uh, Darren, do we have time tonight to get into the two quickies from QuakeCon, or do we have to pick one? Or uh, oh, Well, yeah, well, basically, okay, well, we'll figure it out. We've got a few more trailers for you. Let's get on to Lord of the Rings online, something brand new here for you. of Sauron stretches far. No land is safe from the shadow. But there are still those with the strength and the will to resist.
We also have the uh, latest trailer from Deus Ex coming up, and this is a very big one. Um, one of the things that we were uh, going... Okay. One of the things that uh, we were going to be talking about, we're trying to get that in. Very, very large trailer that we were sent the other day. It's going to take some while to uh, get down, but we're, we have a, a new trailer for that. We also have some news from QuakeCon, uh, which was going on down in Texas, and then they have the big gamers development conference going on in Cologne, Germany right now, which is kind of the precursor to a lot of the stuff. Uh, Portal 2, which is uh, from the local company Valve Software, is being shown over there. We have a lot of hope that uh, Portal 2 will also be shown at PAX. And uh, the other thing that we're very, very much keeping an eye out on is Rage, which is the 3D shooter from id Software that has a brand new gaming engine which also incorporates vehicle play into it. It's kind of like a mix between a uh, you know, typical id 3D shooter like Doom, Wolfenstein, Quake, that sort of thing. But you also have, can have a customized vehicle that you can load weapons on and do some combat with in both solo play and multiplay. And then, of course, Fallout New Vegas, which is going to be all the rage. Everyone's very much looking forward to this. We're going to have some new video footage for that. And we also have some uh, interviews pending for that. I'll take a moment right now with our Skewed and Reviewed magazine. That is, uh, we've held issue three out in order to get a few more things in pre-packs. And then we're going to have issue four coming soon. Uh, well, issue four will be out in November, which on top of everything, we'll have our holiday gift guide preview. We're going to be doing four of them this year. One for the TV show, one for the radio show, one for the online and one for the magazine, and each one's going to be different. They're going to have different titles and that sort of thing, but we'll have kind of like a, some of them will have a culmination best of. One of the good things about it that we're really looking forward to is that we've got a lot of interviews coming out. We're hoping to have a Dead Space 2 interview. We've got one for The Conduit. We've got one for Rage, Fallout New Vegas. As I told you, the cover story for the next magazine is going to be Postal 3, and we're going to be talking about that. we got an in-depth interview and exclusive new artwork that hasn't been released yet about that. And we have plenty of other topics that, uh, you know, some of them I can't talk about yet. But we'll, of course, make that available. The uh, magazine is also available now as an iPad app. We're just finishing up a, uh agreement with that to make that distributable. So if you, you know, right now we have it as a print version, a PDF version. But if you've got an iPad or an iPod and you want a version of that, let us know and we can do what we can. Uh, basically, the right now we're looking at I think a buck for the uh, iPad version of it, maybe a buck fifty, and all the money goes to uh, the profits. You know, a good chunk of the profits from that goes to uh, Child's Play charity, which is put on at PAX. Anyway, a lot of stuff coming, and we're really keeping an eye out for this. We got uh, something from Sega, and they told us that they're going to be showing a new Sonic the Hedgehog game. And they are also going to be, um, you know, talking about the Conduit 2. We know Rock Band 3 is going to be at PAX. So, Darren, you can get out and get your keyboard skills going, and we can try to uh, really make that happen. Uh, one thing, um, I, I guess I can talk about this. It was kind of, uh, they didn't say not to talk about it. There is a major, major, major release coming, but they are not actually going to have a booth at PAX. One of the things is sometimes time and money make it, difficult for them to do and it's not uncommon for some companies to basically be at PAX but not be at PAX and by that I mean what they do is that they get a suite in the hotel room next to the convention center and they say hey you know rather than be on the, the convention floor come up to our room we schedule an interview and you can go up there and they usually have an Xbox or PC set up and you play the game 
And, you know, a lot of times it has to do with there's a small company and they can't afford the booth space or they don't have booth space, but yet the game was, you know, in time. So they, you know, obviously they have some kind of sanctioning with PAX because they know what the media list for PAX is and they're able to email you and say, hey, we understand you're coming to cover PAX. If you'd like, please come by and check out the game. Well, one of the things that we um, that happen, obviously, there are tons of parties, there's tons of concerts, and the parties can be kind of a mixed blessing. There was a first year, I, we had two of them, we went to them, and truthfully, it was a lot of standing in line and hurrying up for not really anything. There was some, last year, I kind of really avoided it, and you always hear, oh, so-and-so's having a party, or you go into this, you go into that, and sometimes it's like, well, gee, I didn't hear about it until it was too late, and you know, you say, gee, why didn't they invite me, why didn't this, so... You know, you take them with a grain of salt. The main goal of PAX is to see all the new games, to meet with the reps, talk with them, set up your coverage. Well, um, Electronic Arts, that will indeed have a booth at PAX, they have a little project in the works. And uh, quite a big project, actually. There's already been a couple games in the series already. And they uh, they wrote us and said, uh, you know, number one, we knew the game was pushed back. It's not going to make it this year. It's been pushed back into 2011. Uh, they wrote us and said, look, um, we're not going to be having a booth at PAX this year. But the night before, we're going to have a reception at one of the local bars slash restaurants a couple blocks away, 8 o'clock at night. You want to bring your staff, you want to bring the guys from the radio show down, we'll give you some food. We've got some stuff for you. We've got drinks. And uh, you can get a hands-on of our new game. And I said, all right, sounds good. What do you got? little thing called Crisis 2, which kind of floored me to say the least because Crisis 2 would be one of the big games on the floor at any gaming convention. This would be one of those, hey, I got to see this thing. You know, not only is it a 3D shooter, not only is it the latest in the series, but they've got all that enhanced technology where it was a huge open range environment, huge destructible terrain. It was one of the first to really have the really high-end graphics and stuff like that so they're like so do you want to come along i was like sure we'll be there absolutely and then i hey any chance we can bring the staff and the radio guys and they're like absolutely so we're coming on down we're going to be taking part in that we also are going to be on hand uh doing some interesting things at pax we'll talk more about that in the time in the time ahead i can confirm that sega is not going to be running aliens colonial marines at this time they I asked him about that, and there's still no official comment because the last we heard it was canceled, but then there are rumors that, no, it's not canceled. <sighs> Go figure. One of those fun things. There's a superhero program we're going to be having a look at. We're going to be looking at um, Killzone 3 in 3D, which looks absolutely amazing. I got a look at Lost Planet 2 for the PC, which looked really good. And, uh, of course, when I was at Comic-Con, I really got to enjoy... Um, Deep Rising 2, which I got to play in 3D, as well as um, the new Red Faction game, which we previewed last week. So a lot of stuff coming. Really interested to see how this all plays out. There's going to be stuff that's coming out at Christmas time, and then stuff further out. Um, you know, a lot of casual games, and then of course the you know the big battle is going to be between the two platforms. We're going to see Halo. Um, you know, going to see Halo Breach, and we're going to see. Obviously, the rumors we might see something new from Gears of War. Uh, there's a rumor out today that the Wii 2, which they keep saying, oh, it's way off, actually might be further along. Again, rumors are showing that it's going to be Blu-ray compatible 
which some say is very un-Nintendo because that means having to license Sony's technology, but the thought is they run the risk of if the PS3 comes down in price anymore, they're going to run, I mean, they're already starting to run away with things right now, and if they drop the price at Christmas time, yeah, you can get it for, I think, 249 to 199 and, you know, basically that's that's almost what you pay for a Blu-ray player, and, the, and they've got a ton of exclusive games coming out. So we'll see. So, Darren, we have anything ready to go, or are we putting it off till next week? 76 seconds. Okay, 76 seconds. And uh, we are going to, what I will do, of course, is I'm going to, uh, Darren, why don't we do this? I will sign out, and uh, I'll sign off. We run the video, and we'll take the people out tonight with the video, and then we'll go right to that. And then next week, as I said, we're going to have uh, more. We've got some interesting gaming stuff. Uh, we are, right. by the way, Piranha 3D coming out. Check it out. Uh, we, interesting weekend. Yes, I will I will tell you this. Why not? I was going to leave it till next week. Expendables, number one film at the box office. I loved it. My I wife it. even loved it. Nice. Yes, it doesn't have much of a story, but my God, <laughs> the action is just, awesome. it drags a little bit in the middle. But at the end, uh, you know, there's some good stuff at the beginning and throughout. It's it's violent. You remember how like Rambo, uh, the last yeah. Rambo film, they literally showed him going splat. Ter- uh, I won't spoil it, but let's just say there is a special gun that one of the guys deploys with devastating results, and nice. it is really cool seeing all of them out there. Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, had a small cameo in it. Bruce Willis had a small cameo. The rest, the film was really good. Uh, Stallone had said, if the film does well. He's got plans for a sequel, yeah. and he wants very much to have Arnold have a much bigger role in the sequel. Because, you know, ideally by that time, Arnold won't be the governor anymore. And he is said... He, is he not reelected, or does he have to be appointed? Or no, he's that? just... He, I, he, think, he said, I've done enough, basically, oh, in okay. essence. And what they're saying is that um, he said, you know, when he filmed that cameo, his eyes lit up. They said, you could tell, yeah, he's been running the state, and it's something awesome, but you could tell he missed it and that fire is there and he said i you know i i got a really good idea for what we could I, I do got with a really him. good idea of what we could do for oh. this well they have a they have a his character is very interesting let's just say he's a rival of stallone and they nice. both they both arrive to discuss a potential contract with bruce willis and there's some good-natured bantering going back and forth between them and bruce willis has to kind of moderate it and and keep it and as as schwarzenegger exits uh, Stallone drops one of the best lines of the film that I won't spoil, but it basically is a very clever joke about Arnold and his life and so on and so forth. Anyway, that's it for tonight. Uh, we are going to take you out with the game trailer. And, uh, oh, Darren says we're still running. We've got, uh, like I said, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on the website. We've got a interview. This, uh, this is really interesting. You're going to say, who's this? I've never heard the guy before. Joe Slaughter. Joe Slaughter is a professional dancer, rising star, who got the big break of his life by playing the lead. Uh, He plays the bad guy in Step Up 3D. It's a very interesting interview. We have that going up on the site. We have a new section coming to the webpage, which focuses on comic books. We have a screener tomorrow night that hopefully uh, we're going to get covered for Vampire Suck with a reception afterwards. And we also have tons of... Uh, interviews in the pipeline. Darren, you look very disturbed. Yeah, we were down uh, 
to zero of 337 megabytes. Yes. And now it's it's making me re-download it all over again. Okay, so I well, rather the servers than might be down, rather than wait an hour, we'll just save we'll next save week. it for next week, folks. That's the all joy right. of live television. Anyway, that's it. We've got, as I said, a lot of stuff. Join our Facebook page. Look up Skewed and Reviewed. I am Gareth, and I will talk to you all next week. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a good night. And if you missed any part of this, we will have the video up on the website, and you can also catch it on ITV, uh, no, and ITVNW.com, and you'll check it out. Have a good night, everybody.